Hello, you're listening to the KPMG Private Enterprise Insights for Entrepreneurs series. I'm Ian Kyo, and today I'm talking to Ken McCracken, Family Business Consulting with KPMG Private Enterprise. Ken, you're very welcome to studio. Thanks, Ian. Pleased to be here. Ken, wherever you go, one issue keeps on coming up with family business. It's the issue of family succession. It's Mm -hmm. an issue that seems to dominate and that keeps on getting talked about. How do you hand it over? Who do you hand it over to? And if you're the founder running a business, do you stay involved or do you slip quietly into the distance? The first question I want to ask you as part of all of that is who actually starts the conversation? Because like most families, they just don't talk. Well, that's a good question, Ian. I think that... um We've learned over the years that the leadership in the conversation has to come from the senior generation. Uh, Often the next generation will be very anxious about it. A little shy. They'll be concerned, they'll be raising their... But they can't do anything about it. They can't take what's not being offered. So I do think the responsibility and leadership for starting the the discussion is with the senior generation. And do you find that happens? Do you find that that senior generation are willing to engage in that conversation? Well, broadly, yes. I think it's... It can be very difficult because you sometimes get this awkward standoff. The senior generation don't want to put the next generation under any pressure and the next generation feel it's impolite to raise this with their parents. So because of that kind of mutual empathy towards each other, nobody really wants to start the conversation and they worry that it's going to be awkward and all those things. So it can take a bit of time, but families are very realistic. They know they've got to face up to it at some point. It, it does happen. I mean... When should people be starting to think about this? It shouldn't just be a guy comes in one day and says, that's it, I'm retired, John, Josephine, it's all yours. I think the best time to start thinking about it is when both generations are at the age and stage that they need answers about what will happen in their lives. You know, if the next generation are saying, well, what will I do with my life? They need to know whether or not there will be an opportunity in the family business. And by virtue of the fact that people are now living longer, Older people have to plan for the later stages of their lives. Now, in a family business, those answers, the answers to the questions that each generation want are tied up in the lives of the relatives. The next gen can't become the next chief exec until the seniors are willing to let go. The seniors won't let go until they know what they're going to do with the rest of their lives. So they are bound together. But if they're at that age and stage when each generation needs to know the answers then it's a good time to have the conversation. Yeah, it's funny, as, as you were, even as you were describing that, I mean, one of the big issues in Ireland and Britain many years ago was the issue of farming, handing over the yeah. family farm, and guys were holding on to it for 70 yeah. and 80. It's almost like Prince Charles waiting yeah. for the Queen yeah. before he takes over, and they dealt with that through taxes. But you'd say engage early and at least have the structure in place ready. Yeah, I mean, I mean, obviously the, the tax treatment of the transfer of wealth is important, but what's more important than that, in my view, is biology. And it, when people are at the age and stage when they need to know answers about what's going to happen with the rest of their lives, that's when the family are in a good moment to sit down and have this conversation. And how long should that process take? I know you've, you've, you've written extensively about this, five steps, you're talking about preparation, disengagement, exploration, choice and implementation, but how long should it take? Yeah, that's a, it's a really important point, Ian, because I think sometimes families can become stuck and this goes on forever, but nobody ever makes real choices. So in our work, what we try to help families with is have a clear project when they can have a beginning and there will be an end. And for some reason that I don't fully claim to understand, it seems to be that in most of those cases, we're working with families for about nine months. That gives them time to really think carefully about what they want to do but it also puts them under pressure to make choices. Otherwise, these conversations can drift and drift and nobody really wants to decide what to do. 
I presume it's a two-step process. On one hand, you're talking about the younger generation taking control of the business and managing it on a day-to-day basis. But there's also the issue of ownership as well. So there are two interlocking Absolutely, yeah. joined things. Yeah. Is it important that you separate those or does that work as part of the same process? They're generally bound up together, but you have to think about them separately because ownership doesn't mean you have to work in the family business. It's very feasible to be an owner and not work there. In fact, that's arguably what capitalism is. People own a business, they don't have to work in it. Some families don't like that. It's going to be both. It's always going to be about management, leadership and ownership. But separating out the issues and helping families to think about them distinctly, I think, helps them get through some of the difficult issues because it's about the transfer of wealth, power, opportunity, jobs, careers, but also trying to be loving and considerate to the family. We are, we are dealing with a and that, net... And that's the point. It's not, it's not a traditional business. Yeah, absolutely. We are, we are dealing with a network of family relationships here. And I think implicit in our discussion so far, Ian, it's been first to second generation. Well, if you're going from, that's fine, but if you're going from three siblings to 11 cousins or 11 yeah. cousins to abroad, the same challenges are there, but they're they're becoming more complex. It goes wider and wider. Oh, absolutely, and more, yeah. The more s- yeah. siblings and cousins, and suddenly the shareholder base looks increasingly diverse as it goes yeah. down. And I think you know some people would then instinctively say that won't work. But it does. Some of the biggest, most successful family businesses in Europe are family-owned but not family-run, and they have several hundred shareholders. They have one thing in common, though. They're really well organised. Well, you make that point. They're family-owned but not family-run. Yeah. It's easy enough to split the shareholdings. You have four children, you go four ways and split it down. You can only pick one person to be in charge, though. Yeah. How big an issue is that for companies if they have to decide who is going to take charge of the running of the company? If they're not going to an outsider, if they're staying within the family... Yeah, well, I think it's, it's a very important issue, Ian, isn't it? I think for some families, for them, there will always have to be a family member in charge. And that's just the way they are, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. They then have the challenge of which of their offspring is the most talented, whose ability matches what the business needs. Others' families are a bit more relaxed about that and they're not so keen about, they're just concerned about choosing the best candidate, whether it be a family member or not a family member. But um, yeah, if there are two people who are relatives going after the same job, that's going to be a tense situation. But, but, But those aren't made any easier by just walking away from them and hoping for the best. I think families, when they get their heads into this and their hearts, they are very practical. And if they're going to make a compromise in terms of what the business needs and what talent is available in the family gene pool to lead it, then they just have to come to terms with that. I mean, and, and there's all sorts of ways, you know, some businesses, maybe it's the oldest, someone yeah. else, it's someone yeah. who shows the most interest. And then you can have things such as partnership or decide first among equals. There's uh, lots yeah. of different ways you can approach this. Well, that, I mean, that is so true. And one of the fascinating things about family businesses is how many different ways they come up how many different answers they come up with for that particular issue. So, and, and and like no one, you know, start arguing about which one is better than the other. If they work, they work. And families are very adept at coming up with what others might consider to be idiosyncratic outcomes. But I think we should help families by trying to broadcast as many options as possible and not let them think that there's only always got to be one leader. That is just not the case in the family business world. So it's a bit more lateral thinking. 
it's lateral, it's creative, but it's also based on knowledge. There's a massive amount of information out there now about family businesses. Go and get it. Um, and that's families and their advisors. So we, we should be tapping into that from across the globe now, making sure that families here have access to that. Yeah. From your experience of, of advising hundreds of, of businesses, what are the biggest issues you find that just keep on coming up when it comes to succession and that handover? I hate that question. What are the biggest issues? I know, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> but what is the biggest issue? Make it a bad question. Though. Yeah. Well, I think I think it, it's this. This is how I try to answer that. The families are trying to find a balance between doing something that is effective for the business. They are commercially successful people, and they understand that. They are trying to, at the same time, be fair, loving, and considerate to their family. So I think the biggest issue is how they do that. And anyone who tries to do it by ignoring one or the other will get into trouble. The fact that the business is owned and possibly run by a family cannot be discarded. And when you're talking about the interests of the family, the influence in the business cannot be ignored. So the big issue is how do you balance them? And that's where the families and their advisors have to work together. I was was, was really interested in reading some of your some of your articles and one of the things you, you, you stumbled across I stumbled across in your piece was this idea of a family of entrepreneurs that we have this idea of this is a family business but in many cases families can spawn other businesses can pull out of them you look at the Smurfit family in Ireland sure. they're across five or six different businesses yeah. and there's examples of that all over Europe and all over the world it's a really interesting concept of families sitting around and helping each other with different disparate businesses and it seems to me to be astonishing that we talk about entrepreneurship and we don't look at these businesses who for generations have been entrepreneurial the fact that they're around after four or five generations must mean surely they're doing something right and they're not just running the business of their ancestors they're reinventing those businesses they're diversifying and they're investing in new assets and activities so that story of family business entrepreneurship needs to be broadcast because it's an astonishing one and these are the business that, that do last. I mean, there was always that line, the first generation sets up a business, the second generation grows it, and the third generation squanders it. I don't think that's necessarily true anymore. Yeah, and it, but it's a deeply, I'd call it a deeply embedded social narrative. Clogs to clogs, shirt sleeves to shirt sleeves. Goodness sake, how often, t- how, how often do you hear that? But interestingly, if anyone's actually interested in some facts, they compared the longevity of family businesses with other types of businesses, including the Dow Jones, the FTSE and private equity. And over the span of 100 years, more family-controlled businesses will last than any other type of business. So if, if we're really concerned about longevity of uh, businesses within the economy, the business we should be getting behind is a family business, not because it's likely to fail. It's actually more likely than any other type of activity to succeed. Why? because it's owned and run by a family and they have a long-term investment horizon. They have a commitment to other returns and investment that matter to them, the place, the activity, the employees, the environment, and their family. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're wired to be long-term investors. And also, as we talked about earlier, if you're going to have a growing family, you need to grow the business. Mm-hmm. So there's a driver that comes from the family. We need to do things that will... We actually have families, Ian, whose growth strategy for the business is based on the predicted demographic growth of their family. Wow. So they're investing in businesses and activities that will match their proclivity to have offspring. So they are having to go for some pretty aggressive growth uh, tactics to, to achieve that. And by the nature, they're entrepreneurial. 
So we need to start learning and talking about yeah. this so that people understand it. That's fascinating. Listen, one, one thing finally I want to touch upon is we've talked about handing it over. But from the person who's handing it over, be it a first, second or third generation, it's a big thing to walk out of the family business. Yeah. And must have massive issues about the level of involvement because nobody if you take over a business you don't want somebody hanging around like Banquo's ghost stalking the <laughs> stage like a threatening yeah. apparition uh, that must be an issue that comes up time and time again it's about the level issue. of involvement with the with the person who's departing the scene it was, it's a massive issue and one that was summed up by one of my clients by saying my dad's retired but there's something wrong with his car because it brings him back to work every day and I think but it's, a, it's, it's not it's a very serious issue because yeah. you're talking about a generation of people that are living longer than in history. They want to have a meaningful and purposeful life and they have to have economic security independent of the business to lead it. Those are very significant challenges and when faced with them it is not unsurprising that some will say, I'll just hang on because this is comfortable and it gives me security and it gives me status and reputation. And I, I feel I have a sense of self-worth. So when we're talking about succession, it's those deep issues are very much to the fore. And I'm particularly interested in it at the moment because of the ageing population. So we need to start thinking about ways in which the senior generation of family businesses can start to make a meaningful contribution, but perhaps beyond their own family business, become mentors to the next gen and other family businesses, put something back into the family business community through education and training. I think there's a lot of good work that could be done to help them. Okay, Ken, Ken McCracken, Family Business Consulting with KPMG. Thank you very much for joining me here it's today. Been a pleasure, Ian.